Go ahead and grab out something to take some notes with and your Bibles today. If you are new to Victory, we believe in taking notes. Even if we don't like notes, we believe in taking notes because we believe that God will speak to us in these moments that we have together. So jot some things down along the spiritual journey because all of us are on a journey from where we are to where God wants us to be. And it's my prayer uh, that we would help you along that journey a little bit, uh, that we would be able to grow as a spiritual community. We're going to talk about that a little bit today because last week we finished our relationship series came out of that. Uh, If you missed any of those, you can jump online uh, and kind of recap the month of February. And then next week, we're kicking off our new series. And I'll tell you about that a little bit later. Uh, So right now we are kind of in an in-between moment and it's called, we call it a standalone message, not really connected to the week before, not really connected to the week after, Uh, just something that kind of gets us all on the same page, a way we can kind of grow this morning, learn a little bit as we study God's word together, just kind of a refresher. And so I want to take you to a passage of scripture in Psalms 92, just a couple of verses uh, that I love very much out of Psalms 92 that I think are very simple in the way that they're written, simple in the way to understand them. But if we put them into practice, can change our lives. And I really believe that about this morning. And so I want to take you to Psalms 92. And today, if you need a title for the message, we're calling it Planted in the House. Uh, and my working title for this is Be a Tree. All right, everybody? So, so you can pick whichever one of those you think sounds more dignified. And so I'm going to teach you for a few moments this morning how to be a tree. So Psalms 92, we'll pick it up in verse 12. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. I love that word flourish. That's the goal of the passage. That God wants your life to flourish. That God wants every part of your life from your emotions to your relationships to your relationship with him, your spirituality, all of that to flourish And I believe that this verse is talking about that. We're going to look into it a little bit uh, more granularly than maybe you are used to in looking at a verse. But we're going to look at it closely today because I believe that this is the promise of God to your life and to mine. Those in right standing with him, the righteous will flourish like the palm tree. Now, the definition in the Hebrew of that word flourish is to break forth as a bud, to blossom or to fly. And so whichever of those calls that picture to mind, use that today. To break forth or to flourish, to fly. And I want to pause for a moment and help you see there's this mentality in culture that I think is kind of funny that raises its head almost all of the time. And it's this mentality that we are always living past the good old days. That we are always in a moment that isn't all that great, but we always remember the good old days. Y'all ever do that before? Like, remember the good old days when we were in high school, right? And everything was great. And you were playing football and everything was, you had your friends and everything was awesome. Good old days. And then in college, right, we're doing all the things we love to do and learning stuff. And then that, that was the good old days. I would remind you that the good old days weren't really the good old days when you were living in those days. Come on, somebody. If it weren't really, come on, you remember in high school how everything was terrible. You couldn't wait to get out of there. And every moment, and then in college, like, I can't wait to get finished. I got to start my life. Got to get this thing going. Every moment, the devil would love for you not to live in the moment. Wants to convince us that the moment we are in is not all that great, that it's always the good old days. And once we come through them, we look back on them with rose colored glasses, that somehow those times were great and these times are terrible. These times that we are in right now somehow are they. And so anytime we do that, we begin to believe that the best of life is behind us. That's not what this verse is saying. It says the righteous will flourish like the palm tree, that they will. It's not saying that they have flourished and it's just all over now and all the best days are behind. It says they will. And that's God's promise to your life, that your best days can be in front of you. 
that he can still touch your life and do incredible things, that we're not living in that tension of just the good old days, and somehow it can never happen in our lives. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today, because I believe the righteous will flourish like the palm tree, because God is for us, not against us. That God is for you, not against you. And I think some of us haven't worked that deep inside of us yet. We know it in our intellectual. We can say it. We can repeat it. But we don't really believe God is for us. We believe maybe he did something in the past, but he's not for us today. God is for you, not against you. And so we're going to begin to talk a little bit. Now we have to talk about how that looks in our life. And we go back to our passage in verse 12. First thing it says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. And I've noticed this in the Proverbs and in the Psalms. Oftentimes the Bible will say such and such will happen like this. And we just think in our minds, well, that's just either a good or bad outcome. We don't look at the actual specifics of what the writer is saying. But he says they'll flourish like a palm tree. So for a moment, I want us to look at why he chose the flourishing of the righteous to be like a palm tree. And honestly, it might not be what you would expect or what you would want. But number one, if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to need is God's perspective. The lesson of the palm tree is God's perspective. Now, just fair warning this morning, I have four points for you, and they all start with P, because I have preacher's disease, right? And I need and crave alliteration, so let me have this, okay? Just let me. But God's perspective is the first thing that we need. We got to have a new way of looking at things, and not just that we revamp our own way of looking at things, not that we suddenly think, okay, I'm just going to be an optimist all the time. We have to have God's perspective of both situations and conditions of our life if we're going to flourish. If we're going to actually see our lives how God sees our lives, We're going to have to have his perspective. And that comes from the palm tree in this verse. And so I don't know what you picture when you think of palm tree. I know what I picture when I think of it, because I have been picturing it every winter month we have been through. Come on, in these last few months. Anytime we hit the winter in Louisiana, it gets wet and cold. I just begin to dream and to dream about 80 degrees, zero humidity and light sandy beaches. Can I get an amen in God's house? Come on, it is... (laughs) In fact, I'd like to announce the, uh, the formation of our Victory Campus in South Florida next weekend. I will be, I will be personally leading that mission trip. and we, will, we do. I just, I don't know. When it gets cold, I begin to think, God, have you forsaken us? Is there sun left anywhere in this world? I want you to know the last two weeks have been the fruition of my prayers. And so it has been, it just, now I'm just praying against the humidity. That's my only, my only trade-off here in where we live in this beautiful state of Louisiana. But honestly, I believe that when I think that's what I'm thinking of in my mind. But I want you to know that's not what the psalmist was thinking of. That's not what he was. He was imagining when he wrote this, this particular psalm. See, where the psalmist wrote when he said flourish like a palm tree, he lived in a condition and an environment that was very desert like and desolate where everything else was withering and dying. And so when he writes about the palm tree, it's fascinating that in that that environment of desolation and things dying and things shriveling up, the palm tree is able to thrive. It's this interesting thought. And I want you to kind of kind of mention that to you because he says you'll flourish like that. It's fascinating in that environment when everything else is shivering up if everything else is desolated, that the palm tree would be able to thrive. It means in the conditions of life, it's fascinating. He would choose that. He says you'll flourish like a palm tree that in conditions of life where people would expect A life to shrivel up. People would expect there to be desolation. In conditions that you've walked through, you would flourish, not just survive, but that you would thrive. That like a palm tree in the midst of that, that somehow difficult conditions would actually accelerate your growth, not stunt it. Because a palm tree actually, the more desolate the situation, the more desolate the conditions, the faster the growth. Because a palm tree will seek out water in any condition that it finds itself in. Its roots will grow further and faster. And so while the rest of the world is dying, the palm tree is thriving. It's thriving in those conditions. And I, just, I want to highlight just for a moment the trap we talked about. There's a lie of the devil. 
that joy and fulfillment are conditional. And I think it's worked its way into the church. This idea that my happiness is based on the conditions. My joy is based on the happenings around me. That it's conditional. The lie of the devil is that your life will be better when something happens. Not in the conditions you find yourself in. There's no way you could thrive in those. But your life would be better when. You see this play out in your life. Where you begin to, you begin to buy into that lie of my life will be better when I finally get that career that I've been dreaming of. My life will be better when I finally make those, those moves and that business and that thing. My life will be better when I finally find a spouse. My life will be better when we have some kids. That may be fulfillment in my life. My life will be better when I get that promotion or that job or that house. My life will be better when I get rid of these kids. Come on, somebody. Where they, they get out of my house. Everything will make sense again. My life will be better when I get rid of this job, when I retire. And I, I just have all this time. My life will be better when. It always keeps us in that tension of living in the when and not living in the moment. I'm trying to think my life will always be better when and that this moment is terrible. And I can't wait for tomorrow because magically it will fix everything. But God has called us to flourish in the conditions that we are in. Flourish like a palm tree that when everything else is desolate, when conditions are such that people would say nothing could thrive there, God has called us to flourish. Not just to survive, but to thrive. If I think too many times we buy into the lie, we never believe that the conditions we're in could actually allow us to thrive. That we believe that it has to change. Something on the external has to change because we cannot thrive in this. Nothing could be further from the truth. I think about Joseph's story. Joseph's life unfolds in the book of Genesis. And you read about his story. It's an amazing story. Read about it in Genesis. But it says that Joseph was born in a long line of brothers. And so there there are all these brothers that are born in Joseph's life that he's, he's at the last now. It says he was born to his father in his father's old age. And so Joseph is kind of like the favorite. And so he leans into being the favorite. He leans into being the, like the, the youngest of the family. And so he starts to tattletale on all his brothers. Come on, somebody. He begins to tattle on all of them, begin to tell his father about their work ethic, about the things they're doing and not doing. Begins to say, and we all know the law of the land, right? That snitches get stitches. Come on, somebody. Like, that's just a law of life. I'm trying to teach it to my kids. Two of them have got it so far, but our youngest, Hava, she just loves to tell us everything her brothers are doing. All right. So we're working on it. We're trying to teach her just, you know, what we need to know and what we don't need to know. But they're they're working on that anyway. But Joseph leans into this idea of being the spoiled favorite child. And then he has a dream from God in his life of leadership. And he goes to his family and he's like, listen up, guys. I've had a dream that you're all going to bow down to me. Which is the stupidest thing he could have done in his life at that moment. Because his family sells him into slavery. Come on, somebody. That's a twist in the story you may not have expected. They don't kill him. They want to kill him, but they don't. And so they sell him into slavery. They throw him in a pit. And so now Joseph finds himself a slave in the land of Egypt. And he's working in a guy named Potiphar's house. And Joseph keeps his heart right before God, which is probably not something most of us would do. He keeps his perspective right before God. He keeps his mind right in the midst of his conditions. He's in this land now. He is a slave in the house of Potiphar in the land of Egypt. And the Bible says he still keeps his heart right before God. And he begins to rise in prominence in Potiphar's house. And so he rises up and Potiphar puts him in charge of everything in the house. And now Joseph is running Potiphar's house. It says Potiphar wasn't concerned with anything but what he ate for dinner. Come on, somebody. That's all he had to worry about. And so Joseph is starting to get a taste of leadership. He's probably thinking, I've got a little bit of momentum here. I know I went through the pit and I know I went through family betrayal, but man, God is touching my life and honoring. And this is, this is something that I can lean into until one day Potiphar's wife decides, well, Potiphar's just sitting around eating all the time. He's kind of past his prime. I'm gonna go after Joe. 
And so she tries to seduce Joe's in the house. She tries to get him to come to her. And so he has to run for his life. And then Joseph, she falsely accuses him, says that he assaulted her and he's thrown into prison, which is probably the moment where most of us would say, you know what? I tried this God thing. Like, I know I went in the pit and my family betrayed me, but I came back out of it and God blessed my life. And I tried the whole God thing. I had some momentum and most of it would say, OK, now that's over. Now, I had the false accusation. I had this thing that came. Most of us would say that that's okay. I've tried that whole thing and it just doesn't work. And so now I'm in the prison. Most of us would sit there and whine and fuss and cry in the midst of the prison, but not Joseph. Bible says he kept his heart right. He worked hard. God gave him favor again until he rose and suddenly he's running the prison. Can you imagine this? <laughs> Can you imagine this slave from a foreign country, falsely accused, thrown into prison, is now running the jail. That is God's favor on your life. That is God's favor. There's no situation that God cannot touch and turn for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. That is God's favor on your life. And so now he's running the prison and he's interpreting dreams with the gift God has blessed him with. And he meets these two guys and he interprets their dreams. One of the guys dies. One of them gets reinstated. And the one that gets reinstated is at the moment where Pharaoh has a dream about the the kingdom and about the nation that he can't interpret. And he's trying to find somebody. And that guy who got reinstated is like, you know what? I know a guy. And they go bring Joseph. And now Joseph finds himself before the greatest king in the land, interpreting the dream and telling them that there's going to be seven years of famine and seven years of plenty. But if we position ourselves correctly, we will become the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And so the king looks at him and is like, you sound like you got the plan, right? You're the guy with the plan. So he puts him in charge. Now, Joseph finds himself in charge of Egypt in the midst of this, in charge of one of the greatest nations on the face of the planet. Joseph finds himself in charge. And now his brothers, if you forgot about them, they all are in a nation begins to starve. And so they have to come to Egypt along with the rest of the world to beg food from Joseph. And they don't know that it's Joseph that's in charge of everything. So they come and there's all this trauma that unfolds in the midst of that as Joseph begins to to kind of mess with his brothers a little bit. You should read your Bible sometimes. It's fascinating, everybody. All right. It's an amazing story. And as Joseph has this moment that now he is in a position of power and he has the ones that he wants to have revenge on in his control. Joseph begins to show how his heart is turned and has become right before God. And the way that he reveals himself to his brothers reveals his heart to us. Joseph talks in chapter 50 of Genesis, reveals his character and his trust in God. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me. He doesn't mince words. He's not like, I know, guys, it was a mistake. I know you messed up and threw me in the pit. Maybe you didn't know I was still there. Maybe you didn't know. He doesn't mince words. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. And God brought me to this position. Watch his perspective. In all of the things that he's been through, all of the things he's walked through from the pit to the prison to the palace, he begins to say, God intended it for good. He brought me to this position. I love that he condenses it to this this one. He brought me to this position. We know the story. We know every step of the way. But Joseph said he brought me so that I could save the lives of many people. That God has a purpose and a plan. That God has brought me so I could save the lives. And I know it's not the most ideal journey. I know, I, I know it's not what I would have picked for my life. But I believe in the sovereignty of God. And maybe I cannot see how he is working things out. And maybe I cannot see his plan in the moment that I am in it. But I believe in the sovereignty of my God. That even in these conditions. And he said, I kept my heart right before God. And God brought favor and influence. 
And because of that, he's able to not live in bitterness and to release his brothers. And you say, well, how is all of that possible? We have to go back to our verse, Psalms 92, because most of us would not have been able to do that. If we're being honest this morning, most of us would not have been able to step into that moment. Even if we had made it to the palace and had our brothers before us in that moment, most of us would not have been able to do what Joseph did. And so Psalms 92, again, it says the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. See, I don't know a lot about trees. What I do know, I learned in preparing for this message. But according to the Internet, all right, everybody, the palm tree is unique in its tree. Now, all trees or most trees will get its, its nutrients from the soil. And so, of course, the deep root system brings up the nutrients, delivers those to the tree through what is called sap. Now, for most trees, that sap will run up between the bark and the trunk of the tree delivering those nutrients to the rest of the tree. And so what happens is if you begin to hack away at the bark of a tree, you do it enough, you remove enough, that tree becomes vulnerable. You can actually take the life of the tree because the life of the tree, its nutrients are in the surface. And I just think that's a beautiful picture of trying to do life without God, that our life and our source of hope and our life and our source of strength apart from God is on the surface. That is conditional. It's based on, do I have the right car or the right house? Am I doing well this month financially? Is it the right conditions that I need to be in? Do I have the right relationships around me, the right friends, the right environment? If we have too many setbacks in life and our source and our strength is on the outside, we have too many cuts to the bark of our life, we will be despondent and depressed. You have too many things taken off. We lose that source because it's external. It's based on the conditions around us. Well, the palm tree is completely different. A palm tree source is at its core. Every fiber and strand of a palm tree carries those nutrients. And so you can hack away at the outside all you want. A palm tree will heal itself and keep right on growing because its source is internal. It's at the core. And I believe that's a call to our lives that we would flourish like the palm tree. It doesn't matter what you do on the outside of me. It doesn't matter how you change the circumstances or the conditions. My source is not on the external. My source is in God. And so we have that core that we live our lives from, that core that we begin to live every moment of our life out of, that strength. We live from a quiet confidence that our source is internal and not external, that we would flourish like the palm. Joseph was able to keep the right perspective because he kept his heart right. The Bible says this in the book of Proverbs, says, above everything else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything that you do flows out of that. That you would guard that, your perspective, your way of seeing the world. This idea that everything we do flows out of that. And so Joseph said, look, I may not understand what's happening around me. I may not understand why it's happening to me. But I'm not called to understand. I'm called to obey. He kept his heart right before God. He kept his heart right before God. And I know, I know God is bigger than the adversity that I'm walking through. I know he's bigger than the conditions that I see with my own eyes. And I know, I know, I know that he will turn it for the good. That God will turn it for the good. Romans says it this way. We know that in all things, we know that all things work together for the good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Remember that verse says the righteous will flourish like the palm tree. Those who love God called according to his purpose. We got to keep our perspective right. But we have to keep our hearts right before God. That our, our conditions are not what dictate our joy. That it's not based on fulfillment of my environment or my conditions. It's not based on that at all. I know that God will turn it for the good if I've got to trust in him. That his plan is still being working out on the earth. That his plan is still happening in my life. That God can turn it for the good. I want to remind you, when you are looking at your life, and maybe you are in a condition or a season. We talked about that in our dream team huddle this morning. Lori brought that word. 
That about how we are in different seasons of life. And so I don't know what condition you might be walking through right now. You may be looking at it and thinking it is a mess. I am under so much stress and I am under so much thing that all of these things are happening and piling down on top of me. There's so much things in my life. I would want to remind you that if it's not good, then God's not done. That your God will turn it for the good. That he has a plan for your life and for mine. That he has a plan for our church and for our world. That God's plan is still unfolding. And if it's not good, then God's not done. That he still has a purpose. He still has things he's working out on the earth. And at the end of the day, we're able to say, I know you intended to take me out. I know the devil intended to take my life, but God has turned it for the good. That God has chosen me to be in this place at this time for his plan and his kingdom. That God is orchestrating. If we keep our hearts right before him, that God is orchestrating our lives so that his kingdom would advance. That every single one of us are a part of that. And God is working it out for the good of his kingdom. For the good of those called according to his purpose. And I am preaching 93% better than you are responding today, everybody. I just want you. It's too late now, all right? It's just too. (laughs) It begins to preach. So perspective. We got to keep the right perspective. And too often times we lose it, number two, because there's also a process involved in this. So we have to have the right outlook on life. But there's a process involved in the journey. If you're going to flourish, there's a process that God's going to take you through. There's a process he has for your life. And that's found in verse 13. He shifts to a different tree. They grow, the Bible says, like the cedar of Lebanon. And I think it's interesting that he makes the shift here. Because if you know, cedar wood is beautiful. It's just a beautiful wood. But the cedar tree is one of the most impressive trees on the planet. This thing is incredible. It could grow to be over a thousand years old, eight foot trunk in diameter. Most incredible, just beautiful trees. The cedar of Lebanon is just a beautiful picture of what God can do in your life and in mine. Provides life to vegetation and animals around it. It's this incredible picture of the majesty of nature. It's one of the most beautiful things God has created. But here's the problem with the cedar. It is also one of the slowest growing trees in all of nature. And I think that is a beautiful picture of the process God takes us in. That we look at this, it says they'll grow like the cedar of life. It says that the Bible says this is how you and I will grow. That it is a process that God takes us through. That sometimes it is slower than we could ever possibly imagine. And it is slower than we could ever possibly want. That it is slower in those things. That it's beautiful and it is majestic. And it is all for God's glory when it reaches there. But it takes time. And I think that's a lesson that so many of you see. When you look at Joseph's life, he had to maintain the right perspective. Because it was pretty slowly unfolding. For me, I would have thought, for most of us, I think we would have thought that being thrown in the pit and the family betrayal, that's enough to qualify us. Like that, that I have done my maturing process, oh God, that is all I need. Now take me to the palace. From the pit all the way, Lord, I am ready. But God knew that wasn't what Joseph needed in his life. For that moment in his process, God knew he couldn't go straight from the pit now. He had some things he had to work out in Joseph's life. He had to develop his character. He had to purify him. He had to get him ready for the palace. He had to develop him. And so he didn't go straight from the family betrayal in the pit. No, Joseph had some more steps to take. Joseph had to learn not to tattle on his brothers anymore. Come on, somebody. He had to, God had to take him through a process. And so every moment was preparing Joseph for where God had him to go. So in Potiphar's house, Joseph learns to speak the language. You remember when his brothers come to Egypt, they're not able to understand what Joseph is actually speaking with his attendants. He didn't learn the language in his father's house. He learned it in Potiphar's. He learns how to manage the household. And then when he's thrown into prison, he meets the two guys, one of which is the only one that would be there at the moment that he could introduce Joseph to the king. God was preparing Joseph in every step of his life. And you watch his story unfold in his life that he's probably God's preparing him every step. He's probably not able to see it in every step. 
fact, we probably know that he wasn't able to see what the next one would be. But Joseph is staying his heart right before God and God is preparing him in the process. God has a process for your life. God has a process for every single one of us that follow him. God has something he is working out in your life. And it's our job to stay faithful in the seasons that he has called us to. To stay faithful in the seasons that he is preparing us. That he is walking us through. And sometimes it feels like we take steps that are a million miles away from God's plan for our life. And we're thinking, God, I have no idea why you would take me down this rabbit trail or get sidetracked in this season. I have no idea what's happening, but I promise you we are not called to understand every season. We're called to be faithful in them. And that's a hard lesson that we have to learn. For Joseph, it had to be confusing. Nobody says, hey, I want to run America. I think I'm just called to run the country one day. And so if I can just get myself incarcerated, I think that it would just jump. you know, if I just find like Guantanamo or like the worst penitentiary, if I could just, it would really jumpstart. Nobody says that because God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God can redeem any situation in any moment. God can use any condition to grow our faith. God can bring us out of any situation or season and bring us to the plan he has for us. God is growing us in the process. And it may not look, honestly, most of the time it does not look how we would want it to. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to be faithful to the plan God has for us. That he's working out the process in our lives. So don't give up on the process. God's preparing you for the purpose. He's got a purpose for your life. And you've got to keep your heart right. You've got to keep your mind right. Now, Hebrews 6 says, don't become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Through faith and patience. The promise will come. The promise of eternal life, the promise of salvation, the promises God makes in our lives, they will come. You will receive them. But it says, don't grow lazy, but through faith and patience is what brings the promise. It's what makes us inherit the promise. I love faith. I have the gift of faith. I love praying for things, big things. If you want somebody to believe with you for great things, I am your man. All right. I love praying for spiritual healing. I love praying for physical healing. I love praying for miracles. It is my dream one day to see God raise somebody from the dead. I love, I love to pray for things and have faith that God would do amazing things in our church and in our world, that God would advance the kingdom, do miraculous things in this earth, that God would begin to do that. I love praying for the problem I have is I want him to do it right now. Like, I need him to do it this afternoon because I got other stuff to pray for later, right? I just, I need him to move a little. I just, God, would you just speed up just a little bit? The problem I have learned is that we serve a crockpot God in a microwave world. Come on, somebody. Like, we just, I, I need him to do it right now. I know what I'm talking about because... I think sometimes we forget because we have our Bibles and we will flip from like chapter three to chapter seven and be like, look, God was faithful in chapter seven. Come on. Why can't he do it right now for us? And we'll flip over. We'll be like in chapter 24. Look, God is moving again. God is moving on the wall. He's doing all these things. Why can't he? Do? And we forget that in the lives of these people we are reading about, it takes years for the process to unfold. That we can flip a few pages. We forget that they are living in the process. That we have Joseph in the pit and Joseph in Potiphar's house and Joseph in the prison long before we ever see Joseph in the palace. But too often times in our own lives, we want a microwave God. Come on, just, just heat it up, Lord. Just do it right now because I'm going to move on. Sometimes God has us in the process. He has us in the midst of it. It could be difficult to keep our faith alive like Joseph in the midst of the process. But we are called to be faithful. And too too many times it can be difficult to have our faith stay strong in the midst because we feel like God has taken his sweet old time and we feel like we could do it a whole lot better. If I was God, I could do that in a whole. And we forget that he has us in a process that he knows what the end result is. He knows what we need to be prepared for. He knows what he's going to step us into. Don't give up on the process. He's preparing you for your purpose. 
He's preparing you for the purpose. And I want to remind you that today's frustrations are usually yesterday's answered prayers. Too many times we think, well, if I was God, I would do this. And we forget about that. And a few months later, we have an answered prayer. It's become the frustration that we are enduring in that. Yesterday's prayer, yesterday's answered prayers are our frustration. You ever notice that things we fuss at God today about are the things that we were praying for about a month ago? I'll illustrate it for you. Some of you, you began praying, God, would you just give me a career? God, give me the job that I have been dreaming of. Lord, would you just open opportunities? God, knock down doors. Give me the job. And what does he do? God gives you the dream job that you've been dreaming of. And what does our prayer instantly shift to? God, I hate my boss. Would you just get him fired? Lord, I just, God, I just can't stand those coworkers. Lord, would you just, all this stress I am under, things that are required of me. God, would you just take it away? Lord, just take this thing away. We pray for years. God, would you send Mr. or Miss Wright into my life? I just, I need God. Would you send the perfect spouse for me, Lord? Would you just send them to me? And they come into your life, that person that you prayed for instantly. Lord Jesus, would you save this knucklehead that I am married to? Lord, would you just, God, would you speak to them? Because they are clearly not listening to you. They are just, would you change them from the inside out, Lord? Would you just pray? Yesterday's frustration, yesterday's answered prayers become today's frustrations. We pray, Lord, would you, would you give us kids? Would you get us pregnant? Lord, help us start a family. And then God says those kids you prayed for in the rest of your life, Lord Jesus, would you cast the devil out of that child? Would you just, because what is happening in this? What are we, Lord, just, I just, yesterday's answered prayers become today's frustrations. We begin to see that in our lives. We're fussing about having to do the dishes or fold the laundry or clean the floors in the house. And those dishes are the ones that we prayed God for finances to buy. Those clothes are the ones we prayed that we could give to our kids. Those, that house is the one we prayed and fasted for. God blessed us. Yesterday's answered prayers oftentimes are today's frustrations. Why Ephesians says this, make sure you give thanks to God always for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says give thanks, the good and the bad. Every one of them is a chance for us to grow, for God to use it in his glory. Every single condition we find ourselves in, every one is an opportunity. Both the good and the bad is an opportunity for God's glory. Every condition we find ourselves in, God can be made great in the middle of it. That we are called to that. So when God brings you that spouse and things aren't going so great, you can begin to pray. Lord, I thank you for another opportunity to extend mercy and grace. Thank you in the name of Jesus that you are growing to me. You wake up in the morning and think, Lord, I thank you that I have a chance to extend love and mercy. Thank you for a chance to form these kids. Lord, I am sorry that you made them without a brain. But Lord, just help us to, to navigate this stupid season of their life. Just help us to begin to minister. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to lead them well. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to do. Give us thanks in every circumstance. Joseph understood that principle, that he kept his heart right before God in every situation. And if you do it, I promise you'll flourish. I promise you'll flourish. Verse 13 goes on to say, planted in the house of the Lord. Number three, if you're going to flourish, is we're going to need God's people. We're going to be planted in the house of the Lord. We're going to need God's people. The house of the Lord in the Old Testament represented a building, a physical building. In the New Testament, it represents the people of God. It's the people of God. First Timothy says it this way. It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, so that, and watch this, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. That word church there in the Greek is the word ecclesia. It's the gathering of the saints. That we have to have spiritual community if we're going to flourish in this life. That we are called to be a part of the ecclesia, the gathering of the saints. You have to have that in your life if you're going to thrive. That we're going to be planted in the house of the Lord. That we're going to be planted together. That we're going to be able to go further faster than we ever could on our own. That you have to be in spiritual community. 
that the body of Christ was meant to be together. When we come together and we have the presence of God in our midst, when we worship and we study the word of God together, when we do life together throughout the week, when we have those moments, it is like a breath of fresh air. It is like oxygen to your lungs. It is water in a dry and thirsty place. If you live in spiritual community, healthy spiritual community, I promise you it will lift you up in ways nothing else can. That the body of Christ was called to be together. First Corinthians says it this way, all of you together, all of you, one body of Christ, and each one of you a separate and necessary part of it. You are called to be a part of the body of Christ. You are called to be a necessary part. Jot it down if you're taking notes with you. We is always better than me. We is always better than me. We collectively, we collectively is better than us alone. Trying to do it alone. We can go further, faster together. Now we need spiritual community. And let me be clear here at Victory. If I haven't been clear in the last six weeks, every single Sunday, let me be clear that spiritual community, you want to live in spiritual community. It cannot happen if your only contact with the body of Christ is from 10 a.m. to 11, 15 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Spiritual community cannot happen if this is your only contact with the body. As much as I love Sundays, we cannot make the break after worship and before the sermon long enough. It will never be enough. All right, everybody, for you to have actual, authentic, spiritual community where you are sharing your life. Because when we say turn around and greet somebody, you're not able to just pour out your entire life, be a basket case to the row behind you. All right. That's just not how it works. But we are called to live in spiritual community. So the way we do life together is in our small groups. It's in our groups that meet throughout the week. This is your chance to actually do life together as a spiritual community. It's not something that I want from you. It's something I want for you. And I don't know how to make it more clear than that, that you need to be in a group of believers, strengthening each other, lifting each other up, encouraging one another, because every single one of us will walk through things in this life. Every single one of us will walk through things. And I promise you, if you have people around you who are lifting you up, people around you praying for you, encouraging you, giving you the word of God when you need it in your moments that you need it, when you are blind to maybe an issue in your life, but somebody who loves you and can speak into your life, we need to live in spiritual community. We need each other. God designed us for that. I want to talk for just a moment, just for a minute, and dwell on that thought of being planted in the house. So it's the house of the Lord. There is a planting that happens and there is the local church all over the world we need to be planted in. And it's an important decision to decide which local church you will be planted in, that you will be in. But be planted in a church. Be planted in a community of believers. You got to be planted. But it says planted in the house. And if I could just just call back to that, that idea, don't be led by yourself decisions. Don't be led by your own desires. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. And honestly, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person if you've ever had a conversation with me. But I just have something that I want to say this morning. And that is, you got to stay planted in a house. you got to stay planted. My wife, Alyssa, has unlimited vision for our house and for our yard. She loves to, like, like she loves to rearrange things inside the house, outside the house, plants it. So we're always getting in these little projects and flower beds and different things around the house. And she will ask me from time to time, can you take that bush and move it over here? And like, can you take that tree and move it there? And I just want you to know that I have a 0% success rate in transplanting any plant in our 10 years of marriage. I have assassinated them all. All right. I just, just 0%, 100% death rate at the workman house. That's just the way. So clearly I don't know what I'm doing. All right. But I keep trying, but I keep killing plants. It's just the way that was it. Because the second thought I have about that is you have to stay planted. Because no plant that has a significant root system can survive being transplanted all of the time. I'm not saying God can't transplant you from one church to another. I'm not saying that's not right. He obviously can. I believe that he does. But I'm just saying it doesn't happen weekly. 
All right, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. This is the ninth church in the last one month that you have been to. They're probably, probably not that spiritually settled because you're chopping off the plant at the roots and you're transplanting it every time. God is calling it. I'm just saying, let the Holy Spirit lead you to where God is planting you in a spiritual community. I pray that it's here. I understand if it's not, it doesn't bother me one bit. I want you to be spiritually mature and planted somewhere. At the risk of it not being here, I need you to be planted somewhere that you would grow, that your family would grow, that you would put down roots. That God would continue to grow you in your faith. That God would continue to grow you strong in your relationships, strong in your faith, strong in your family. That God would grow you. And again, I pray that it's here, but it needs to be somewhere. That you got to stay planted in the house. That you got to stay planted where God has planted you. And it's a chance of offending some of you. If every church you go to has the same problem, it might be because you brought it there. Because no church is perfect. I promise you no church and victory included because we are made up of people and people by definition are not perfect. People by definition will annoy you. We have people here and there is no perfect church. And so what God does is he uses all the annoying people to grow our character and to begin to make us who he has called us to be and to grow us in how we interact with the world around us and to grow us strong. But then he uses the ones around us who can encourage us, the ones in our small group who can help us to run further, faster, the ones who encourage us and lift us up in our darkest moments. God has made us to live in spiritual community and we got to be planted in the house. We got to stay planted in the house. And I pray that your roots grow down deep, that you have strong relationships and family and faith. I'm praying that for your life every day. But you got to stay planted. You stay planted in the house. We desperately need the relationships that come. We stay planted in the house. Back to our verse one more time. It says the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Why? Because my source is internal, not external. It says they will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. I'm going to stay committed to the process. I'm going to be in, even though it's slow in my growth, I'm going to stay committed. I'm going to stay committed to the process. I'm going to stay patient in the seasons of life, planted in the house. I'm going to find a local church that I can plug into. I'm going to find a small group that I can connect to. And then it ends with they will flourish in the courts of our God. That's what I want for you to flourish in the courts of our God. And those courts always represent in the Old Testament. You look at it, it always represents the presence of God. It's the presence of God. You need that in your life. And you can access it any time and any place because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. In the presence of our God. It's the presence of God that breaks the chains off of your life. It's the presence of God that helps you and enables you to live this life in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, leading us, changing us, guiding us. That is the power I want for your life and for mine. But we've got to stay in his presence. If we're going to flourish, it's going to be in the courts of our God. If we're going to flourish, it's going to be in the presence of God. It brings miraculous healing and presence. And my prayer for you is the same as Paul's. So I was praying for this message. My prayer for you this morning is the same prayer that Paul prayed. He says, I believe. He says that you would know, that you would know and experience. I want you to read this verse. because It said you would experience the love of Christ. And honestly, we talked about this two weeks ago. That if you try to approach God solely intellectually, if you go to God solely intellectually, I'm not, I'm not discounting intellectualism. I love debates and I love those different things. But if you try to approach God solely intellectually, you will fail every time. But Paul prayed, and this is my prayer for you, that you may experience the love of Christ. Not that you would read about it, not that you would hear about it, not that you would just think about it in some far off land to some missionary somewhere that you would never be. You would experience the love of Christ in your life. You would experience, though it is too great to understand fully. 
Even Paul is understanding. He, one of the smartest men to ever live. One of the greatest writers to ever live. You understand? You can't understand it fully. Solely intellectually will fail every time because it will always lead you to religion and law and it will always lead you to death. If that is your approach to God's love, that I just can understand it with my head knowledge and nothing else, it will always lead you to death. But he says that you would experience the love of Christ, though it can't be understood fully, then you'll be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That is my prayer for you, church. That you would be made complete and full, experiencing the love of Christ. That God never intended just to be studied. He always intended to be experienced. Always extended for you to have an experience of his presence, that we would live with this confidence that I know who my God is, that I know what he has done in my life, that I've experienced the love of Christ and nothing in this world can take it from me. Because you can always argue with a head knowledge. You can always argue with an argument. You can always try to argue somebody, but you cannot argue with an experience that you would experience the love of Christ. That doesn't matter what they do to us, doesn't matter what they say about us, that we have experienced our God, that we have spent time in his presence. That's my prayer for you, church. As we close, Romans chapter 8, Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, I'm convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor their height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation could separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You need this in your life, church. You need to be convinced by an experience of God's love and Christ's love for you. You need to be convinced because the storms of life are going to rage. I don't know how to say this nicely. There will be storms in your life. There will be conditions in your life. Like Joseph, when I know that he had some things in his past, but he stepped into another storm after storm. There will be things in your life that are going to happen. You have to have this convinced, be in the presence of God, that I know who my God is and nothing in this life can take that from me. That I've experienced the love of Christ and nothing in this life can sway me from it. It doesn't matter what happens around me. And if you do that, if you, I promise if you do that, it doesn't matter what the government does. doesn't matter how crazy the world gets. doesn't matter what the economy does. doesn't matter if the world loses its mind around you. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I just want to pray that God would touch you and bless you and strengthen you and that you would thrive in the midst of the conditions that you're in. That he would show you how he is working it out for the furthering of his kingdom. Before we pray that prayer and before we go today, though, I want to talk to some of you maybe who came today or you're watching online right now and you are far from God. I want you to know that all of these relationships, all of these things, all of this, this confidence that we live our lives with starts with a relationship with him. That we live with a confidence because we have experienced the love of Christ. That we have surrendered our lives to him. That we have believed that he died on the cross in our place. That is the confidence we live in. That is the gospel. That is the good news that Jesus paid the price for our sins. And so we live out of that confidence. As Christians, we live every day. Our strength and our hope comes from that relationship with him. It's not on anything that we have. It's based on our Lord and Savior. And so if you don't have that today... And maybe you find yourself far from God. I want to give you an opportunity before we go. That you can have that confidence in him. That you can have that surrendering of your life. That you can have a confidence that you are saved by Christ Jesus and by the blood of Calvary. I want to give you an opportunity for that. I don't know maybe how you got where you are. There's a lot of different paths that some people take in order to be far from God. Maybe you never grew up in this and so you're kind of new to all of it. Or maybe you've 
tried it before, but all you found was religion and law and death. And you saw the pain and the backstabbing and the hypocrisy. And so you ran far from it. Or maybe you followed God at one time, but now you've kind of let the busyness of life kind of choke it out. And you've kind of drifted a little bit. And you realize that he's not Lord of your life any longer. It doesn't matter how you got there. What matters is that Jesus loves you. That he still wants you. That he can still redeem your life for the good. That he still has purpose for you. That he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And so I want to pray with you today. Nobody's looking around. It's not in this to embarrass you. That's not why we're here as a church. There are other times to go public with your faith. Right now is an opportunity between you and Jesus to make some things right. And so if that's you today, I want to pray a simple prayer with you. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the words, but you have to pray them and you have to mean them. There, it's a prayer of surrender. It's not some easy thing. This is a prayer of surrender. But I promise you, if you pray it, he'll make you brand new. I promise you, he will come in your life and he'll save you. That his promise to you is that anyone who would call in the name of Jesus, anyone, that includes you. I don't care where you are or what you've done. I don't care what you have run to. I don't care how far you have run from God. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. Anyone. And right now you have that opportunity. Don't let it pass you by without taking advantage, without surrendering your life. Right now in this moment, we're going to pray this prayer. And all of the church, we're going to pray it with you. Watching online, we're going to pray this prayer right now. Nobody prays alone. But if that's you, if you want to make that decision, come on church, pray it with them. Say, Jesus. Save me. I repent of all of my sin, of all of my mistakes. I surrender to you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Now, church, bow your heads for one more moment. God, I pray for every person in this place. God, that we are all on this amazing spiritual journey. God, as one church that we are called to live. Lord, I pray for every person who may be walking through conditions or situations where it seems impossible that they would thrive. I pray right now, God, put faith in our hearts that you are working it out for the good, that you have called us according to your purpose and that your kingdom is advancing. Help us, Lord, when we are on the front lines, help us to live as soldiers of Christ. Give us the faith and the confidence to live this life. Lord, that you would build up our strength and encourage us this week. That we may not be able to see what you are doing, but our faith is in you alone. God, that you would give us the confidence that we may have lost sight of you, but God, you have never lost sight of us. And that you are working things out, that your hand is on us, that you are preparing us, that you are growing us in every season. We thank you, Lord, that we are in a process. God, I would ask, surround us, Lord, in the midst of it with relationships that are from you. Lord, that we would learn what it means to be in spiritual community. God, that we would learn what it means to be in spiritual community, to live this life encouraging one another, that we would find those around us who would lift us up in our darkest moments, who would encourage us with the word of God, that would speak life into our situation, send us people of God around us, Lord, that we can do life with, that can encourage us and we can encourage them as well. And Lord, I pray that we would live every day in the presence of God. Holy Spirit on the inside of us that you would cause us to live out this calling you have that we would flourish God in the midst of our conditions in the midst of the process that you would call us to the life you have called us to live and we'll give you all of the glory and all of the praise and all God's church said amen and amen come on church can we give God praise for what he's done today